Well, would you turn with me this evening to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to begin our marriage meeting. Believe with me, we're going to pray in here just a minute, but believe with me for utterance. I'm going to speak tonight. Right now, we're planning on Phyllis speaking tomorrow night, and uh, we may do some things a little bit differently. We're just, this is our pilot on this, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've never done this before. And Phyllis and I have taught on this subject before many times, but uh, not exactly like this. And we are just as open as we know how to be. We've prayed and prepared and looked at a lot of things. But I believe that this is the beginning of something very substantial. And I believe that uh, the seed sown in these meetings will make a big difference. And that then this will grow. And this could become a very formidable meeting in time to come. Amen. I'm talking about even size-wise and strength-wise, and you and I need to get it right. Amen. Amen. So believe with me and help us to get it right so that we can build upon this and develop from here. In fact, let's just join our faith together right now. Release your faith and let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for our church family. We thank you for everything that you have said and done for us in our lives, family-wise. And we present ourselves before you and say, Lord, this is your meeting. These are your times. We come before you and sit to hear and to see and to receive. Show us what you would say to us and do in our lives concerning marriage. Reveal to us everything we need to know and understand. Correct any wrong thinking that we've had. Show the errors and dispel the, the lies and the darkness and confusion. And make known to us the fullness of the truth in this area. That we may be free. And that your word may be known and shown in our lives and in our marriages. And everybody that is here, give them ears to hear. Everybody that should come in over the course of the week, help them to get here. Prepare them to see and hear and receive. Keep us back from saying or doing anything that's not productive, not fruitful, uh, or not good. And we consecrate ourselves, all of us, to you. And we say, get glory to yourself in our marriages and in our families, which are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Everybody happy? Well, help me out. Say amen once in a while. (laughs) So we don't get too too heavy and too tense. You know, if you want to... If you want to get people's attention, if you want there to be a great calm, you just start talking about marriage, our kids, our money, <laughs> people get serious. Well, how many believe there's victory in the Word? There is. Let's begin this evening by talking about the perfect example of a marriage. In Ephesians 5, you have it. And we're going to come back to this again and again and again. This is our text. This is what a marriage is supposed to be. Nothing else is appropriate or sufficient enough for you to set up as your perfect example to emulate. This is it. Ephesians 5, 31. Ephesians 5, 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. 
This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is the perfect example of the right kind of marriage? Christ and the church. Let me ask you again. Everybody say it out loud. What is the perfect example of a godly marriage, a right marriage? Christ and the church. Then don't take any human couple you know. Did you hear me? Don't take any human couple you know or have heard about and set them up to be you want to be just like them. Not any. Are you with me? If there are couples that you respect and you think there's some things you'd like in your marriage like theirs, then it should be because to some degree their marriage is like Christ in the church. Right? But everybody's human. And nobody has arrived at perfect Christ-likeness. And so if you just set up, I don't care who it is, if it's your parents or grandparents or friends or pastors or whoever it is, if you set them up to be your total example and you try to be just like them, you'll wind up reproducing their faults. And they all have them. So what is our example? What do we got our eyes on? Christ and the church. Now, I'm going to say this so many times you may think that I, I forgot that I said it, but I didn't. Any question on marriage, any question on marriage, this is the answer. Every question, every dilemma, every so-called problem. Well, yeah, but what about this, Brother Keith? What's the answer? Christ. And the, well, how's a, what's a husband supposed to do in that situation? What does the Lord do with the church? In whatever it is. That's the answer. Whatever the Lord would do, whatever he does with the church, that's what the husband's supposed to do. Well, yeah, but what does a wife do in a situation like this? Whatever the church does and is supposed to do with the Lord, that's what the wife is supposed to do. Every case. 100 times out of 100. Right? Now, the reason I say this is because it is a virtual Barbed wire of entanglement of ideas in the world about what marriage is supposed to be. And a lot of people have written books and a lot of people have done seminars and a lot of people have done workshops and retreats and advances. And some of them are good, but a lot of them are just people's ideas. Their human reasoning and their ideas. And I want to, I don't want to tell you in this meeting what I think. Uh, you know, I'm not, Phyllis and I are not setting ourselves up as the perfect example. We want to be an example. But you don't want to be just like us. You want to lift your eyes up above and look at the same thing we're looking at. Amen. 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 Which is Christ and the church. Are you with me? Amen. What is the perfect marriage? Just like. Christ and the church. Sit with me three times. Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Christ and the church. That's the perfect marriage. Right? Now, you know, if we just stopped and went home right now and you put that into practice every day of your life, you'd be totally changed. Amen? 
and you would have victory. What if the husband always treated his wife in every circumstance like Christ treats the church? What if the wife in every circumstance treated her husband like the church is supposed to treat the Lord? Well, then would they have a good marriage? They wouldn't be getting divorced. They wouldn't be screaming and yelling at each other all the time. They would have victory. They would have a sound, godly marriage. Now, I want you to notice the first thing he mentions prior to this in Ephesians 5. He said in verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. The mystery of the two being one, the mystery of the marriage being a type of Christ and the church. People that are unsaved are supposed to be able to look at our marriages and see Christ in the church. To see, uh, <laughs> some folk thought, yeah, wow, I don't know what they see that when they look at us. Well, they're supposed to. And don't be discouraged, they can. I said, they can't, it's not all over. Things can change. Amen. I'm excited because we have some real answers in the word of God. And you, there's some things you can immediately begin doing and put into practice and it will change your marriage. It will change your relationship immediately. And that's good news. This is a quote from the book of Genesis. It's also recorded in Matthew. It's also recorded in Mark. This must be important. It keeps recurring in the Word of God. Go back to Genesis. Let's read it. The first time it appears in the Word, Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2. How many believe in with me? We prayed earlier this week for lives to be changed and marriages to be changed. I'm in faith about that prayer. Are you in faith with me? I can't do it in and of myself. You can't do it in and of yourself. But God can if we cooperate with him. Supernaturally we can have miraculous wonderful things happen in this meeting. Marriages can be saved. Marriages can be restored. Marriages can be improved a hundredfold. Amen. What was formerly intolerable can become wonderful. What was formerly hellish can become heavenly. God is that big. And yeah, they can change. (laughs) And so can you. It is possible. All things are possible to him and her that believes. Everybody say, I'm a believer. In Genesis 2, you know, God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam. Down in verse 21. He took a rib and closed up the flesh. Verse 22, and the rib that he'd taken from the man, he made a woman. (laughs) He's handy, isn't he? Yikes. Make a woman from a rib. God's something else, ain't he? And he brought her to the man. And he said, look here, Adam. This is what I made for you. And Adam said, wow. That's not in your Bible. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Everything is significant. 
how this happened, the order in which it happened, the way it happened, all of it is very, very significant. Verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Now at this point, they didn't have father and mother to leave. Did you ever think about that? And yet, this is the first thing he says. Because of this, because of man and woman, and because of the joining, and because of marriage, therefore, because of that, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. We know from the New Testament, this reveals the mystery of Christ in the church. I mean, we're not just talking about physical marriages this week. How many understand Jesus is the head and we are the body and he is the bride and we are the bridegroom. How many others, excuse me, uh, he's the bridegroom. We're the bride. Help me out here. And how many know that the bride is preparing herself and there's coming a great wedding day. I mean, the scripture is full of this. And it's not just that it's like that. It is. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. Amen. And we already understand something about how that works because of the natural physical marriages that he's given us in the earth. So uh, notice he says, therefore a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they will be one flesh. Look in Matthew. You see Jesus quoted this passage and commented on it in Matthew, the 19th chapter. This is also in Mark, but we'll just read Matthew's account. Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, verse 3, 19.3, the Pharisees came to him tempting him. And saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, any reason. Now, if you look back at the law, you'll see there was provision, and he mentions this here, that you didn't have to have a reason. That sounds like today, doesn't it? (laughs) Irreconcilable differences. Just, you know. And they asked him, is that okay? Can you divorce your wife? Just for whatever. And he answered and said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Tell me who's talking here. Are we to take him literally about this? Are we to take him seriously? Would he tell us something different in 2003? Because you know things have changed. Huh? Times have changed. Would he modify this today if he was standing here in Faith Life Church? And we said, Lord, what about divorce? Tell us about divorce. Would he tell us something different from this? No, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then so they said, well, why did Moses give a command to write a divorce and to put her away? And he said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, 
suffered or allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her which is put away does commit adultery. Now, what he's saying, and you see this in Mark and other accounts, you know, if somebody is married and they get their eyes on somebody else, and they say, well, I, you know, I don't love you anymore, and I'm going to divorce you. And then they turn right around and marry this person that they had got their eyes on even before they divorced. The formality of divorce does not keep that from being the same thing if you went and had a relationship with them while you were married. Did you hear me? Going through the formality of divorce doesn't make it any less that you betrayed that person and you were unfaithful to them. And you committed adultery against them. It gets quiet when you talk about these things. But how many know the truth will make you free? Amen. Are these things good? Yes. There's nothing better we can find in life or in the world to live by. This is the best. Amen. Now, before we get into talking about that, my, and we may touch on some things about divorce, but that's not my primary objective or directive. We're going to talk about marriage. And uh, if you have been through a divorce or two or five, God does not want you to be condemned. Did you hear me? In fact, go to John 4 real quickly. And let's just touch on this for a minute. John 4. Is divorce God's will? No, it is not. Does it please him? No, it does not. Is it forgivable? Yeah. Is there life after divorce? Yes. Yeah. Can you have a good life after a divorce? Yes. Would it have been much better if you hadn't have divorced? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got God's best. You got his perfect will, his acceptable will. And uh, sometimes people mess things up. And in life, certain things, uh, you know, you can't fix. Sometimes people, you know... A person is already remarried and there's already another family there and there's some other things going on. And you can never get back to the place where it was. But the Lord knew that. And he's still gracious. And he's still merciful. And he still has a good plan for you. Amen. And you can still obey God. But if you're in a marriage and there's been stress and there's been trials and problems and you've contemplated quitting, I got one word for you. Don't. And that's not my word. I'm going to show you in just a minute. That is the command of the Lord. I'm quoting scripture. The command of the Lord. Don't. Now in, um, where did I tell you to go? That's a good place. Yeah, John 4. We're going to touch on uh, divorce and remarriage for just a minute because people have some unscriptural ideas about some of these things. This has to do with the case where that Jesus was at the well of Samaria. And you remember the woman of Samaria came to him, came to the well. This is in John 4. And down about verse 8 and 9 here, 7, Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And she got into talking about this Jew versus Samaritan deal, racial stuff. And eventually, what is it down in verse uh, 16? Jesus said, go call your husband. Go get your husband and come back here. 
And she said, I don't have a husband. I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you have well said. In other words, that is correct. I want you to get this now. That is correct. What is correct? She has no husband. husband. He said, because for you have had five husbands. And he whom you now have is not your husband. In that you said what? Truly. Now there are those that teach that if you are ever married, that first person you married is the only true spouse before God you will ever have. That does not agree with this. Right? This woman had been married how many times? Five times. And apparently now she's living with a guy. Does living with somebody mean that you're married in the eyes of the Lord? He said, he is not your husband. Just because you're with somebody, that does not mean that you're married in the eyes of the Lord. No such thing as a commonwealth marriage or any of that kind of thing before the Lord. Because sometimes you'll hear people saying, you know, well, they're sleeping with each other and that kind of thing and they're not married. And they say, well, you know, what is a piece of paper? It ain't about a piece of paper. It's about a public commitment before your families, before your church, before your community. And if you're not willing to do it in front of people, I question that it's there. You understand what I'm saying? This is about commitment. There's not supposed to be uh, sex without commitment. Did you hear me? It's wrong. It's sin. And the reason why it's sin is because it hurts people. I mean, God intended that a man and woman be committed to each other and be in covenant with each other before sexual relations. And then if there is a child from the sex and from the relations, there is a commitment to that child because there's a commitment to each other. Did you hear me? And every child ought to have the right to grow up in a home where they're loved and secure and taken care of. And we have a mess on our hands in the world with people, you know, conceiving children out of wedlock and all the abortions and then all the children living in squalor and and a life of drug addiction and, and being abused and it's horrible. And none of this would exist if people did what God said. One man, one woman, one marriage, commitment, a real home. Real daddy, a real mama. And now listen, sometimes people say, well, you know, I may not be a very good wife, but I'm a good mama. I may not be a very good husband, but I'm a good daddy. No, I'm sorry, that doesn't work. No. Now I realize there are cases where they're single parents. You say, well, how can, what do you mean? I mean, there is no daddy. Well, God can make that up. That's one reason you ought to have a good church family. Amen. Amen. And there ought to be some good men in the family that can be father type figures. Amen. Amen. But no, you can't be the complete mother or the complete father unless you are also a good husband and wife. Because so much of how you train that child is how they watch you. How they watch you treat their mother. How they watch you treat their daddy. Day in, day out, year after year. That does more in their life than all you're talking and preaching. 
So no, you cannot be the best mama unless you are a good wife. You cannot be the best daddy unless you're a good husband. And we're going to talk about how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Do you already have the answer? What would being the best husband be? Being just like the Lord. And it must be possible. He told us to do it. He called us to it. What would being the best wife be? Being just like the church is to the Lord. Amen. And it's not what a great wife you think you are. What does your husband think? And it's not what a great husband you think you are. What does your wife say? Hmm? I've had people look at me before and go, I'm a good wife to him. And I say, well, what does he say? Well, he don't think so. Well, (laughs) what do you mean I'm a good wife to him? It don't matter what he thinks. (laughs) See, that don't make sense. But people do that, don't they? I'm a good husband to her. She don't think so, but I am. Well, no, honey, I mean, they're going to know if you're a good husband more than you. No. So (laughs) don't tell them, ask them, am I a good husband? (laughs) Am I a good wife? See, people don't like to do that, do they? They like to tell them. No, he said Every one of those men you were married to was your husband. Is that right? right. Number two was your husband. Number three was your husband. Number four was your husband. Number five. Why? He said, you have had five husbands. Jesus said it. And living with somebody doesn't mean that they're your husband or your wife. And the one you have now is not your husband. So he said, actually, you're correct. (laughs) You have no husband. At the present time. That's different from the way some preachers teach it. That's right. And the way some denominations have it. But let's stay with Jesus. Amen. 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 He's right. Amen. Anybody that disagrees with him is wrong. Right. I don't care how many degrees you got after your name. Or what your group is. Or how many papers you wrote. If you disagree with him you're wrong. Now go back to Matthew please. Is this okay so far? Yes. All right. You're believing with me, right? Matthew 19, talking about marriage. Verse 4. He that made them at the beginning made them male and female. Are there any provisions for male and male marriages? In the Bible I'm talking about. The answer is no. Is there any provision for female and female marriages? No. No. Like one fellow said, he made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. (laughs) And he did. And he could have made provision for same-sex marriages. And I know it's not popular. It's not uh, politically correct. But it's not okay. So what if we're in love? Being in love, a man being in love with a woman does not necessarily mean they're supposed to be married. A woman could fall in love with somebody else's husband. A man could fall in love with somebody else's wife. Just because you're in love does not mean you're supposed to be married. Did you hear me? Because people get involved in situations they're not supposed to. And feelings can be real. I didn't say you didn't have feelings for them. I didn't say you weren't in love. I didn't say you weren't attracted. None of that makes a thing right. 
And Christians are supposed to control their desires. And if you have a desire that's wrong, then you're to starve that desire. Amen? Amen. Until it does not torment you. Starve the wrong desires, feed the good ones. And control yourself. I mean, what if none of us controlled ourselves? We'd not have a church. Right? Be chaos. No, we must control ourselves. He made them male and uh, female. And, what did he say? For this cause a man will leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They're no more two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or separate. I want to give you three words, and we're going to camp on this for the rest of the time tonight, I think. First of all, let's go over this real slow. What's the perfect type of a marriage? Are you sure about that? Should you look at anything else? Mm -mm, No. Christ in the church. How do you answer every question about marriage? Christ in the church. Every question. Any scenario, you cannot think of something in which this does not apply. There is no situation or scenario where that does not apply. Every answer, that's how you, every question, that's how you answer it. Bring it to that. What would the Lord do with the church? What would the church do with the Lord? That's the answer. So having established that, we're going to talk about this. Did you see this? You saw it in Genesis. You saw it in Matthew. It's in Mark. It's in uh, Ephesians. It's in 1 Corinthians. I mean, not just two or three witnesses, more than that. Everybody say, leave and cleave. Do you hear this? This, we're getting into the foundation of the marriage. What do you do? Leave and cleave. You know what leave means, don't you? Does anybody know what leave means? Leave who? Mom and daddy. Now, people get into trouble because they don't do this. And you can move a distance and still not leave. You can get out of the house and you still hadn't left. And the thing is, it is a real transition, especially if you marry right out of uh, high school or right out of college. And the only thing you knew was that home and that family. That's all you know. And you'll try to just continue that. Did you hear me? And how many married people have had difficulty stemming to your previous family attachment? I said that too complicated, didn't I? You knew what I meant. But people come into the marriage talking about how my mama and daddy did it. How we did it at our house. And they say, yeah, but we did it like this at our house. Both of those are to be left out. And we're to start something new. Did you hear me? Now I know (laughs) that that's easier said than done. But... It is the Bible way. It is right. You are to love your mother and father. You are to respect them. But when you get married, you are to, in a very real sense, leave them. Doesn't mean you don't go visit. Doesn't mean you don't have fellowship. But in a very, very significant and definite sense, there is to be a leaving. Everybody say leave. And cleave. cleave. You don't just, you know, 
uh, marry somebody and go, well, okay, now you're part of our family. <laughs> and you just, you know, are an addition of our family and our family is just grown because you're at it. No, it's supposed to be a new family. Everybody say new family. New family. And you've got to develop your own relationship. There's no two people just alike. So there's not going to be any two marriages just alike. And if you just try to duplicate exactly what your folks did or what their folks did, you're going to have problems. And the parents are not supposed to try to continue and exert undue influence in the new couple's marriage. Did you hear me? Wise parents won't try. And foolish parents should not be allowed to. <laughs> and some people say, yeah, but now you know the Bible said children obey your parents. Obey your parents. Obey. Back up and get that first word. Children. Children obey your parents. You're 25 and you married and you got a family of your own. You're not a child. Right? Not supposed to be. Not a child. No, you're to respect your parents. But no, not in your own family do you let your mom or dad or their mom or dad dictate how your family now is supposed to operate. And wise, godly parents won't try. They'd be there for support. Be there if you want counseling. Be there if you want help. But not try to tell you how to run your house. Now this gets interesting, doesn't it? Y'all okay? Go to Luke 5. Everybody say leave and cleave. Luke 5. You know, uh, I realize that when people, a lot of times people first get married, especially young couples, uh, they don't always have a lot of money and uh, sometimes are feel dependent on mom and dad. And sometimes people even, you know, they move in the house with mom and dad. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, do what you want to with it. But uh, I know temporarily, sometimes these things are, you know, that's all you know to do at the time. But as soon as you can, you need your own place. Amen. You need your own place. And uh, you don't, you don't need to every time you need something, go to mom and dad. You need faith in God as your source. Amen. And sometimes if parents pay for the bills, they feel like they ought to have a lot of say so too. Amen. And if you're leaving your children with them all the time and they're half raising them anyway, then they feel like they ought to have a lot of say so in the child's life. And they have to have some because they're with them all the time. That's not right. They're your children. You're supposed to rear them. Thank God for grandma and grandpa. They ought to have grandma and grandpa in their life. They ought to be able to enjoy them, but they're not supposed to raise them. And they're not supposed to pay for everything. Are you with me? (laughs) Boy, I'm getting some looks across the crowd. Is this Keith's idea? What did the Bible say? Leave and cleave. Now, cleave means Like glue. It means stick to. Stick to who? Your spouse. 
Stick to your wife. Stick to your husband. Leave mom and daddy. Stick to your spouse. Did God say that? He said it when there were no mamas and daddies. One of the first things he said. Jesus said it. Repeatedly. Paul talks about it. Right? Must be the way. Must be the way. Say it again. Leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. And one reason why people have so much problems is because they have too much involvement from one or both sides of the parents. Too much involvement. Too much influence. And sometimes, like I said, godly, wise parents won't do that. They realize they're leaving the house. They're leaving the nest. They're still my baby, but uh, they're an adult now. And they're somebody's husband or wife. They're going to have their own family. I'm here for you if you need me. But I'm not going to try to run your business. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're an adult now. And parents have to be strong enough to let their kids make some mistakes too. Even if you see where they're not going, well, sometimes you have to realize they didn't ask me. Right? Well, I'm going to tell them anyhow. You don't want to be a problem. You don't want to be a source of division in that marriage. Hmm? And you have to be the ones when they come running home to you. And they're all separated and all kind of problems. And a lot of times folk don't have enough sense to realize they're part of the problem. You need to be strong enough mama, a strong enough daddy, that when somebody comes, your little daughter, who's so precious to you, comes home to you, talking about how that sorry rascal, you know, he, he's doing this and he's doing, and I'm not talking about him beating her up or some kind of crazy thing like that, but they just had a fight, they just had a problem, you don't need to coddle them and say, well honey, you can just stay with us. That's right. Amen. A good parent won't do that. Unless it was just something really super serious like being physically beat up or some crazy thing like that. You ought to say, hey now honey, uh, you got a home of your own now. That's right. You're a married woman now. You don't need to be over here telling us about every fault of your husband. Amen. That's not faithful. Amen. Now you go home and be a good wife. Amen. 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 I'm serious. That's right. I'm serious. And mamas need to know and daddies need to know to tell their boys. He's there for the ninth time eating at mama's table. But I don't like her cooking. Well, I don't like this. She didn't do that. She don't starch like you do. And they need to say, honey, I love you. But don't be back here for supper tomorrow. <laughs> oh, mama. Tomorrow night's chicken fried steak night. <laughs> I know it, baby, but you're a grown man. You got your own family. You got your own house. Now you go be a husband. You go be a man. Amen. Hmm? I'm always here for you. But there's supposed to be a separation. There's supposed to be a definite leaving. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus talks about this and it applies to marriage in Luke, the fifth chapter. Are you there? Luke chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus spoke a parable to them. No man puts a piece of a new garment upon an old. There's a lot of new and old stuff that don't mix, right? If otherwise, then both the new makes a rent. 
And the piece that was taken out of the new agrees not with the old. Everybody say agrees not. The new agrees not with the old. So what's the solution? No man puts new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottle. Going to be an explosion. (laughs) Mom-in-law in there showing your new wife how to fold clothes. And she didn't ask her. Rearranging the pots and pans. Huh? Daddy-in-law in there. Doing stuff he ought not do. Nobody asked him to do. Did you hear me? Too much involvement. Actually interference. Trying to contain the new within the old. Not wanting to let people go. Not wanting to let my boy go and be a man. Be their own family. But what do you do? Verse 38. New wine must be put into what? New New bottles. And then both are preserved. Needs to be a new family. A new home. New situation. How are we going to do it? Number one, we're going to do it like Christ and the church does it. And how's that going to be? We are going to interpret how that is for us. Nobody else can tell us. You understand? There are no two people just alike, and there's going to be no two marriages just alike. And everybody, so to speak, needs to work out their own salvation in these areas. And they need to do so without undue interference. By either family. Can you say amen? Is that all right? New family. Everybody say new. New. Leave and cleave. Say it one more time. Leave and cleave. Now go to 1 Corinthians 7. Once you have left. What did he say do? Which means. Stick like glue. We're going to stick together. Me and you. Right? We are glued together. God glued. What God. I mean you don't see this in every kind of situation. He said what God has joined together. And do you know God joins people together. Sometimes when both of them were not even saved. But he knew they would be saved. So there's a lot of things that are more God ordained and led than people even realize. Now it is possible to join yourself to somebody you're not supposed to. You join yourself. It's possible. But God joins people together. And when he joins people together, they are not supposed to be separated. They're not supposed to be divided. Now, the devil is always trying to bring division, always trying to bring separation, something that separates and brings distance between. It can start out as a small wedge, but it gets bigger until people are so far apart. They're in the same room, but it feels like the Grand Canyon's between them. Hmm? It can be physically felt and emotionally feel that way. You could be laying right beside somebody and you feel like there's 10 miles between you. Mm 
How'd that distance get there? Well, it's the enemy's work. But he can't do it unless we let him. And here's the thing. Even though it's cold at home. Even though there's been so many hard and bad words. Even though there's so much distance. It wasn't always like that. Was it? Wasn't always like that. If it went from good to bad, it moved, it changed. Why can't it go from bad to good? Why can't it be changed back? It can. We've got to realize what the problem is and shut the door. Anything that separates, anything that divides is the enemy trying to put asunder what God has joined together. In 1 Corinthians 7, are you there? Let's read this quickly because I want you to get to another passage directly from this. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 7, 10. Unto the married I command, well that's a strong word isn't it? And yet not I, but the Lord. He said, now this is not just me. This is the command of the Lord. This is New Testament. The command of the Lord. What's the command of the Lord? Let not the wife depart from her husband. Don't leave. Instead of leaving, we're supposed to be what? To each other. We're not supposed to be leaving each other. We're supposed to be cleaving, sticking to. Right? Stick to it. How many know it, that when people separate and when people divorce, it affects a lot more than just them? Yeah. Oh, my. People are disappointed. Friends are hurt. Children are hurt the worst. They're supposed to have security. It's never supposed to cross a child's mind that daddy might go away and never come back. It's never supposed to cross a child's mind that mama might leave and never come back. It should never even cross their mind. They should grow up with the security knowing God's going to be there. Mama's going to be there. Daddy's going to be there. Right? Grandma and grandpa's going to be there. They're still there for each other. They're still there for mom and daddy. And they're there for us. Amen? Amen? This is the way it's supposed to be. Oh, but we live in a world that doesn't even try. People get married with no intention of being inconvenienced. If this stops being fun, they quit. Right? It's just accepted. How many in this place, you've been married over 50 years? I want you to raise your hand and show me. Glory to God. Yeah, give them a hand. We respect that. How many have been married over 25 years? Let me see your hand. Phyllis and I have too. Oh, hallelujah. Over 10 years? Anybody been married over 10? Oh, look at that. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Phyllis said, if you made it past the first ten, you're doing good. (laughs) How many of you that raised your hand 
been married over 50 years, over 25 years, over 10 years. How many of you could have quit? You could have quit. There were times, there were situations you could have, you could have quit. Yeah, you could. Sure. Why didn't you? Why didn't you quit? Let me say it like this, you know. Don't lift your hand, but just nod. That's... You were tempted to quit. Thought about quitting. Yeah, I see a lot of nods. A lot of people nod. Sure. There's opportunities. Maybe even temptations to quit. And things can be bad. Like Phyllis said, I mean, there's nothing like a good marriage. But there ain't nothing like a bad one either. Oh, hellish. I don't know of any other word. Hellish. But it doesn't have to be that way. And people quit. I know some people that we've known uh, back years ago. We heard some of our friends and heard they're getting a divorce. We thought, huh? Getting a divorce? And, you know, you talk to them a little bit. Well, you know, we're just not compatible. We're just not getting along like we used to. And, and it's just not working. It's just not working out. And there really was nothing that substantial. We thought, give me a break. We could have quit too. <laughs> All of our friends were said, hey, we could have quit too. What do you mean you're going to quit? But people have a quit mentality in this society. If it don't suit me, if it's not fun anymore, then quit. We have, as Christians, a command of the Lord. Don't leave. So the next time, if there's a time that you feel pulled and you feel, you get this out and you remind yourself, Jesus is my Lord. He gave me a command. Why? Why is this so serious? Why this kind of language? Why Paul said, now listen, here is a command. I command you. And listen, it ain't just me. I'm voicing what the Lord said. This is a commandment of the Lord. Why is he so strong about this? Because when people separate and divorce, it destroys lives. Sometimes people are warped. They're never the same. It's a serious, serious matter. We are to fight. For the marriage. Fight for the relationship. Even if you're to the place where there's no feelings. There's no affection. There's no attraction. And people can get to that place. People get to the place where they daydream about their spouse dying. I've counseled with more than one. Yeah. Well, you know that ain't God, don't you? Maybe the Lord will just take them. And they daydream about how their life could be free if that old so-and-so was out of the picture. That's deception. I said, that is deception. They are not your problem. Both parties have a part in this. Hallelujah. Let me keep reading. He said to the married I command. Yet not I but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. 
And if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Verse 12 said, if a brother has a wife that believes not, she be pleased to dwell with him. Let him not put her away or send her away. And the woman that has a husband, even in a non-Christian, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. This is as plain as you could say it, right? Stay together. Everybody say, stay together. Stay together. Look around at somebody and say, stay together. <laughs> Look at somebody else and say, stay together. Stay together. Sounds like, what kind of guarantee do you have that the next situation is going to be different? Hmm? Huh? Well, he's just mean. Would you think he was mean when you married him? You know, well, she's not like she used to be. People change. We're constantly changing. And the ideal situation is that two people grow up together in God. Amen. 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 And not me trying to become like you and you trying to become like me, but me becoming more like the Lord and you becoming more like the Lord. And in that case, you're coming like this. I'm becoming more like the Lord. They're becoming more like the Lord. And what's happening is you're becoming more like him. You're getting closer together. Becoming more like. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Or the question is, can Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a question. The answer is no. You hear people say, well, opposites attract. Only in unimportant things. <laughs> That's not a scripture. The scripture says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? And fellowship is based on what you share in common. I mean, if you like vanilla ice cream and they like chocolate, that's okay. That don't matter. But in the things that matter, you must agree. Or that's why you're not going to fellowship. You're not going to have communion. There needs to be equal commitment to the Lord. That's where some of your biggest problems come from. One person serious about God, another person not. But even in a case, he said, where a person's an unbeliever. Well, they're certainly not serious about God. But he said, if they're pleased to dwell with you, they love you and they want to stay with you. He said, don't just divorce. Stay together. What's the word of the Lord? Stay together. Amen. Stay together. Fight to stay together. Amen. Stick it out. Pray in tongues. <laughs> Don't quit. Stay together. Everybody say stay together. Stay together. Go with me back to uh, Matthew and the 12th chapter. Now I think we've established this. What the perfect example is. Christ in the church. And what we're supposed to do. In marriage, leave the previous families. Doesn't mean that they're not in your life. It just means that there's a new family now. New home, new situation. And cleave, stick to each other, stay glued together. God joined you, God glued you. Don't let anybody, including yourself, tear you apart. Right? 
Why would he talk about that? Because there are going to be things trying to tear you apart. And you go out to make up your mind, we're not going to let it. We're not going to let this tear us apart. In Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12 and verse 25. Matthew 12, 25. Jesus said this. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to what? And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Do you think the devil knows that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is his strategy. All the time divide and conquer. How could he tear up this church? If he could get enough division in this church, he could tear it up. If he could get half of us mad and fighting and pulling against the other half. It's happened again and again and again and again. Same thing with the family, physical family. Brought to desolation. How is it that husbands and wives and families and marriages are just in desolation? They're just brought to complete destruction and utter ruin. How did it get to that place? Not even any feelings for each other anymore. Everything is gone. Nothing. Empty. Desolate. How did it get that way? Division. Division was allowed. Now my staff will tell you, the Lord dealt with me about this decades ago, and this is one thing I am super strong on. We have in this ministry, in this church, all of our staff, all of our help, we have zero tolerance for strife. None. If you're going to fuss and fight, you will be gone. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Why? The Lord told me this years ago. He said strife is the manifest presence of the devil. Peace is the manifest presence of God. Well, if I'm the head of this, the head of this family, the head of this ministry family, I have a responsibility not to let the devil manifest himself in our house. Is that right? This is God's house. We're supposed to have peace in here. Amen. And if there's something that's causing strife and causing division, it must be dealt with immediately. And we've got to fix it as soon and as quickly and completely as possible. And if there are those who don't want it to be fixed, they must be removed. Are you with me? Because somebody says, well, what about them? Well, I don't just have them to be conscious of and aware of. I've got to protect the family, the flock. Right? And if I allowed something to continue and persist until it's this huge division in this church and this church is brought to desolation and this building is empty in a matter of months or years, I am responsible for a lot of that. Because I was not supposed to let it happen. Did you hear me? And heads of households are responsible. Are you with me? There's not supposed to be strife in your house. 
division. Now, here's how division operates and how strife operates. Go with me to the book of Proverbs. And uh, I think by the time we get through with this, we'll be at a good place to unhook. Go to the book of Proverbs. What's the devil's strategy? Divide. Divide and destroy. Divide and make desolate. And we all know of situations where people's relationships have wound up like that. But in the book of Proverbs and the 13th chapter. 13th chapter of Proverbs. I know I'm purposely moving slow and deliberately, and it's because I want to. I mean, we're actually laying the foundation of a new thing in the church here, aren't we? And uh, I believe we'll do this again. We'll talk about these things, teach about these things again. Some things you need to hear on a regular basis, right? And we may do this again next year. We'll just see. But since we haven't done this exactly this way before, I'm going to take my time, make sure this stone goes in this place. Right? And then this one goes here, and then it's sealed. Next time we might could move through it a little freer, you know, because we know where it goes. But how many believe what the Word has shown? How many believe this is foundation? This is bedrock. This is what you build on. Amen. Christ in the church. Leave and cleave. That's not somebody's idea. That's not somebody's book. Right? It's a word. Heaven and earth will pass away. But this, this will cause you and your spouse to stand and your family to stand. Hallelujah. And when others fall, you can stand. Because you know what to do. You've acting and doing the word. So now, leave and cleave. Stick. Stay together. Be glued together. Stick to each other. So what does the enemy then come try to do? Pry you apart. His objective is to divide you, to get some kind of separation so that you are no longer sticking together. You're no longer glued. Get that division. And then once something is in there, he wants to keep working it until it spreads and puts distance. Actually, what the literal words for these things, I looked it up, the Greek means distance between. That's what he's after, is to get distance between you and your spouse. And he'll work at it night and day. He'll work at it for week after week and month after month and year after year, trying to get wedges in and working them to separate. And if he can get enough separation, enough distance, you lose feelings, you lose emotion, you lose attraction. A house divided will what? Eventually, I don't care what you, who you think you are, eventually you get enough separation, enough distance for long enough, and people will say, well, why are we going through the motions anymore? I mean, we ain't been in love in five years, and why do this, and why do that? Well, one reason is because the Lord said, <laughs> stay together. Amen? But it doesn't have to be misery. It can be wonderful. God didn't intend we'd be tormented doing our time. <laughs> I just feel like this is a prison sentence. Well, you're not doing it right. You're doing it right, you'd be having fun. Thank God. I'm not enduring Phyllis. I'm enjoying Phyllis. I don't think she's enduring me. There might have been a few points years ago where 
that was the case, but we didn't quit. Amen. 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 And when you grow up, so we're going to be talking about this a lot more, but as you grow up, it gets better. It gets easier. Amen. Oh, it's a lot easier than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Thank God. I'm glad we didn't quit. Amen. Because she's a jewel. God knows who you need and who's right for you. And most people deserve each other. <laughs> See, you can take that any number of different ways, can't you? <laughs> oh, Proverbs 13. Let's, let's get here and let me, uh, let me touch on this. I feel like we need to deal with this a little bit and then we can uh, conclude for the evening. Proverbs 13, are you there? Now tell me what the enemy tries to do. Divide. Bring division. And uh, in Proverbs 13, well, go to 17, and then I think I'll back up to 13. Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 14. Proverbs 17, 14 says, The beginning of strife is as when one lets out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. When's the time to deal with strife? When it first starts. Hmm? Because it's like a leak in a dam. Hmm? You come by and you see a little sprig of water spewing out at the Table Rock Dam. And you live in Point Royale. <laughs> and you come by the next day and it's about twice as big as it was the day before. But it ain't much to it. What do you think? Ah, that ain't nothing. Don't worry about it till it gets big. Now, if you got any sense, you won't let it get big. Amen. Right? Amen. Because when it gets big, it's when it can get to the place where that thing can fail. That's right? right? And you got so much of a leak and so much of a problem and so much stress that the whole dam collapses. And then you got desolation and destruction. Amen. So what should you do? The moment you see a small leak... You don't wait. You deal with that. You stop that little leak now. Amen. Small problems dealt with never become big problems. Amen. Right? Yes. And the thing, see, the enemy is counting on you just letting it go and not dealing with it. You got this leak between you. This is not really a deal. It's Makes a little drip. It's not a big deal. But every time you get on that area, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's a little tense. So you just don't talk about it. Not a good idea. Amen. I said, not a good idea. Because the enemy's counting on that continuing year after year until it's a big leak. Yes. And then there's a failure. When contention, when strife begins, everybody say begins. Yes. At the beginning of it, you need to deal with it. Yes. 
Deal with it in the beginning. How do you deal with it? Look in Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13 and 10. Only by what? Pride comes contention. But with the well advised is wisdom. Now here's what happens. And I think you'll recognize if you've been married for any length of time. You'll recognize this scenario. People become dogmatic about something. And one side decides to push something. Have you ever seen this? Push it. And the other one doesn't like it. But they're not backing off. And they're going to push it. And they push it. This is how wedges are forced. Right. Hmm? Yeah. Pushing something. And people get on a campaign and on a crusade and they won't shut up about it. Did you hear me? Yes. And they just keep pushing it. And keep pushing it. And pushing it. And know it's aggravating the other person. And they know it's making them mad. But they won't shut up. And they keep requiring that they're going to do this. Requiring you're going to conform to this. Requiring this is the way we're going to do it. This is how we're going to have it. But that's what everybody say push it. So that's not a good idea. You need to have a really good reason to push something and be dogmatic about it. Look in... Uh, Acts, and I'll give you this scriptural example, and I think we'll close. Acts chapter 15. How many married couples been married over 10 years would agree that one key to your success is you've learned when to back off? Now, don't say so if it ain't so, but let me see. I want to show hands on this. You would say you have learned and it has helped your relationship. You've learned when to back off. You've learned when to say, well, okay, just let's not make this a deal. Let's not push this. Hmm? Because a lot of things just are not important enough to make it that kind of an issue. A lot of young people ain't got enough sense to know that. Toothpaste tubes. (laughs) And toilet seats. (laughs) And such things have been the trickle that turned in to a three-day cold front. (laughs) And you know what I mean. Right? Because somebody is going to make somebody do something. Push. Now, bless God, I've told you this 39 times. Well, now, this already doesn't sound good, does it? (laughs) Now, I've told you this is the way it's going to be. This is what we're going to do. Are you not listening to me? (laughs) Proverbs says, By long forbearing, a prince is persuaded, 
and a soft tongue or soft word can break the bone like a like bone like resistance the hardest resistance a what kind of word soft and a soft answer turns away wrath everybody say soft division gets in here and it begins to spread because of hardness and people taking this immovable stance and i got my rights this is the way it's going to be, and I ain't giving in on this. Oh, you better make sure you got a good reason. And I mean, it ought to have scripture under it. Amen. Amen. Because most of these things just are not that important. Immovable. Pushing it. Pushing it. And the more you push it, you're letting a wedge come in. And there's distance being created. Separation is occurring. Division is beginning. Pushing it. In uh, Acts, are you there? We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, are we? Did you look around and see all those hands? I don't know if you did or not. Of all the people that raised their hand and said, now you're not lying, you're not just trying to support my message, are you? I mean, are you serious about that? It has helped your marriage. You have learned when to back off. You've learned when to shut up. Hmm? There were hands all over the place. So young married folks, take heed. Right? Young folks, middle-aged folk, not married yet, take heed. Right? There's a time you sense the tension. You sense there's a flare-up. You sense here's a spring, here's a leak. What do you do? You don't get your screwdriver and poke it in there and go, ah, Love, we talked about this morning. Love covers a multitude of sins. (laughs) You know, you cannot take experience and put it in somebody. Fifty year old veterans of marriage cannot lay hands on people and impart. Their knowledge, you know, you wish you could, but they can't. But if you're wise, you can listen. I know, uh, you know, years ago, I was guilty of it. Phyllis, we both made mistakes, pushing things, being adamant. Got to be like this, being hard-nosed about stuff and cause problems and cause problems. But as you grow, you learn. I know something happened years in the middle. You know, this hadn't been that many years ago. But there was a lot of stuff going on. And Phyllis inadvertently washed my wallet. (laughs) And all my stuff in it. And she come and she was upset. She said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, it was dirty. (laughs) That thing probably needed to be washed. (laughs) I mean, it's washed now. Why, Why get into a big deal over it? Right? Besides that, what's most important? Hmm? People. Relationships. Right? And what is worth you having this intense strife thing half the morning on a Saturday morning mess up your whole day? Is it worth it, you see? But why don't people have enough sense when it's starting to go, no, whoop, 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 this is going the wrong way. And stop it before it be meddled with. 
in the beginning of contention and strife. Now look what happened here. And I want you to notice the wording and how it works. Because the enemy does the same way no matter what kind of relationship it is. Acts 15. Anybody remember the ministry team of Barnabas and Paul? Huh? World renowned. Barnabas and Paul. Preaching team, buddy. Went all over the known world. Got masses, thousands saved and miracles and built churches. And the Bible said in verse 36, this is after much success in the ministry of the uh, PBM, (laughs) Paul and Barnabas Ministries, Inc. Paul said to Barnabas, hey man, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God. Let's do a world tour of everywhere we've got new churches planted and go back through in ministry and let's see how they're doing. And Barnabas, what does that next word say? What does it say? He what? Determined. Now, I believe it's the, uh, in the Greek, it says he was bent on it. Do you hear that phrase? He was bent on it. Well, determined sounds like a strong word too, doesn't it? On what? On taking John, whose surname was Mark, who was one of his relatives, one of his kinfolks. And Paul, what? Thought not good. Now, that's not as strong as been on it, is it? Thought not good. In other words, he didn't think it was the best to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. If you read the previous portion of Acts, you know that John Mark went with them on a previous campaign and he wasn't started but just a few weeks and got to missing mama's dumplings and and didn't like the culture and he went home, right? Bailed. Well, that's not okay, is it? And this didn't mean Paul was writing him off forever. How many understand you don't reward that kind of action? That doesn't mean you should be promoted to a spot on the crusade team. Because you bailed in the middle of a meeting. Doesn't mean that you're written off. But you need to show some stick-to-itiveness at home. You need to be faithful in the local church. Right? You need to show some uh, faithfulness. And you know later on, we see Paul actually ask for Mark. Don't we? Now, I've read after some commentaries, and they say, well, you know, this is one of the few, the only place we know of in the Scripture after Paul's conversion that he missed it. I completely disagree with that. Look at the language. Look it up. Barnabas was bent on it. If anybody ought to have been lighter, it should have been him because this is his relative. Right? How many of you are supposed to push family members? In the things of God in this kind of situation for position and all that kind of stuff. And he's pushing this deal. He was bent on it. And Paul said, no, now, you know, I know he's your cousin and I know all like that. But, you know, he let us down on this last deal. And he needs to grow up. And I do, I'm just not ready for him to go on this next meeting. Amen. And Barnabas was what? Bent on it. He said, no, now Mark's going. You know. I've decided. Well, now hold up. This is not just the Barnabas ministry. Right? Paul was the main speaker. The Bible says so. Right? Right? 
Barnabas was a good man. The Bible says he was a good man. Obviously, man of God. But here he's pushing this Mark deal. Well, no, now I've prayed about it, and I've heard from God, and Mark's going to go. Paul said, no, no, Barnabas, you and I are buddies. Been in the ministry for years here. But no, I don't want Mark to go on this trip. Barnabas said, well, no, he's going. What's happening here? He's pushing it. Barnabas is pushing this Mark deal. Does this happen in families? Does it happen in marriages? Concerning the kids. Concerning the bills. Concerning the house. Concerning this. Somebody gets on this track and they're going to push this deal. Well, no, no. Now, I prayed about it. This is it. Pushing it. Look what happened. Barnabas was determined. He was bent on it. Paul thought not good. Verse 39, and what happened? And the contention was so sharp between them that they what? Departed asunder. That's the same language we just got. Let not man put asunder what God has joined together. They departed asunder one from the other, and Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus. He's going to do it without Paul. And Paul chose Silas, and he departed, but now the rest of the book follows who? Paul and Silas. That tells you something right there, doesn't it? rest of the book follows Paul and Silas. Doesn't mean that Barnabas was a bad man. Doesn't mean that they didn't do good ministry. But this contention and this sharpness and this division came about as a result of him being bent on this is going to happen. And Paul said, no, uh uh-uh. And it became so strong until they departed asunder. And the ministry team and the ministry was broken up. And separated. Do you see how this works? The enemy can't just come in and do it on his own. Somebody has to yield to it. Somebody has to become hardened. Somebody has to become prideful. And unyielding. And unbending. Bless God. It's going to be this way. Well you can have your way. And it costs you everything. How many people have gotten in this thing about I'm going to have my way. I'm going to have my way. And. Not realize what it cost them. I'm going to have it. I'm going to have it. So, a wise person learns about the soft answer. Amen? A wise person learns you don't have to figure it all out tonight. Right? A wise maturing person learns, well... There's probably half a dozen different ways of looking at this. And I'm sure I don't even see the whole picture. and They don't see the whole picture. But let's don't lose sight of the big things. I love you. You love me. We're sticking together. We're going to work this out. And not be so hard-lined. How many understand it's not just what you say, but how you say it? Hmm? You know? Your wife says, now you're going to wear that tie with that. The other don't match. (laughs) You don't like that. Hmm? How many of you husbands like that? 
No, you don't like that. How about, now honey, does that tie match better than that one? A question. That's better. Isn't it? Then you still get to decide and go, well, I like this one. Is it worth the woman pushing and going, no, no, you ain't getting out of here with that tie on. I've already got a mama. Did you hear me? No intelligent, mature, strong man wants a mother for a wife. Did you hear me? I got a mother. Thank God for her. Phyllis is not my mother. I'm not her daddy. Do you understand? See, people get things all mixed up and, and all confused. But just asking a question. Everybody say, ask a question. Asking a question instead of making a demand can put a completely different complexion on a situation. Just asking a question. Instead of saying, well, now, now wait up. Bless God. It's going to be like this. No. Turn down the volume. Pull back your emotions. Ask a question. Well, have you thought about this? Have you looked at this over here? A question. Hmm? And a conversation. Instead of somebody pushing something. How do wedges get in? Somebody pushes them. How does a wedge get into a tree? Somebody's got to push it. It's got to be some outside force pushing that thing, right? Pushing that thing in. And if nobody's pushing like that, then these things don't get in. They don't separate. They don't divide. They don't make desolate. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.